Hey, hey, people of Earth, it's time to enter the spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick and Casey. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on spoilerverse.com. But if you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcatcher, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. Citizens, <laughs> citizens of the Republic of Spoilerverse, welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Kenneth Regan. That right there is Mr. Horsley. And today on the show, well, Steve Harper, isn't it? It is. You know what? I got to say real quick. I got to comment before we get into this. Um, you have no, you're no longer a werewolf in transition when you do your welcome back. Now you're like a, a, like a, a toy car revving up. Nice. So you've changed. You got to so, change it up from time to time, man. You can't keep it the same all the time. I know, but I kind of miss the werewolf. Well, it's all right. The I'm werewolf like- will come back when I when I'm able to properly have my studio up in the office with sound treatment and all that. It's so echoey yeah. in here that if I get too <laughs> loud, it just sounds like ass. Uh, it's reverb, man. It just it just custom reverb. That's all. Right. Just put a guitar on there. You'll be all right. Anyway, Steve Harper, man, he comes on, talks, and he uh, he comes on, writer, and talks. Actor. Well, that's good. <laughs> It'd be awkward if somebody called into our podcast and said nothing. <laughs> I mean, it'll happen someday, I'm sure. They'll be like, oh, "Why am I here? I'm done. This is dumb." <laughs> but you guys suck. Oh man, but no, Steve came on. Um, you know, he talked with Casey. Uh, Talk about Stargirl and uh, God friended me and other stuff he's worked on. Um, it's it's really fun. It's really fun. That's cool. God friended me. That was on for like what a. When was that on? I was on for like, one season. I think it was. Yeah, man, just getting anything on at all, even for a season. Oh, two seasons. That's two hard seasons. to do. Yeah. You know, and today with everybody's. Right. I don't know, for lack of a better term. Like, I'm not a, I'm not a true believer by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I also don't, I don't prejudge people that do, because I think because of my upbringing, you know. But there's a lot of right, anti-God right. rhetoric nowadays, and it's kind of cool when they when someone can create a show that's pretty good that is kind of the anti of that. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's That's a lot cool. of good that, yeah. that comes out of religion, too. Not just all this bad. It's just unfortunate the bad has overshadowed most of it. That's that's the problem. That's, that's the problem. Is it's, not, it's not necessarily that. It's, it's what the negative stuff is pronounced. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, dang, man. We just keep talking. We'll never get to this interview. So why don't we sit back and listen to Steve Harper in his own words? Let's do it.
All right, everybody, welcome again to another episode of Spoiler Country. Today on the show, we have writer, actor, screenwriter. He he wears a lot of hats. He is currently writing the new television series Stargirl based on the DC Comics hero Stargirl. And we're really happy to have him on, Steve Harper. How you doing, Steve? Hey, I'm super good, Casey. Really happy to be <laughs> here and uh, looking forward to chatting and uh, yeah, all of that. So it's it's a it's a good day, it's a good life, and I'm happy to be here. Awesome that that was the dorkiest intro I could have done. It, it can you know when you start at the bottom. So <laughs> I thought that was I thought that was pretty. It was certainly sufficient and yeah, it was it was good. So so okay, first let, let's go ahead and get the the elephant out of the room. COVID has dropped a bomb on how things are going in Hollywood right now. Yeah. How has it affected you personally? Mm, wow. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, how has it affected me personally? So, so, well, first of all, you know, I never leave the house. So that's like the main thing, you know, I, I don't, <laughs> it, it's really just about hunkering down with my machines and communicating and connecting with people virtually the way we're doing now or on zoom you know, I've seen very few people, I, you know, go to the grocery store, all that stuff, but I, but everything else is virtual as, as I'm sure a lot of people have experienced. And, and, and that has meant that, you know, my life is fairly, certainly the writer's room and all that stuff. We're fairly scheduled and we're, you know, I, there are a handful of people who, who I see and I connect with and who I work with, who a, I've sort of never met in person and B, you know, I only see them on on Zoom or online or on email. So it's really it's really sort of heightened the virtualness of life. It's also been unbelievably challenging in that I certainly have I know people who've who've had COVID and recovered, and I I unfortunately know a couple of people who passed away from COVID. I'm sorry so, to hear that. Yeah, thanks. Me too. So that's been a very sobering fact of my life that, you know, I, I, I'm, I've been really concerned about, you know, myself, my loved ones, and, uh, you know, I'm always wearing a mask and washing my hands and doing what I can. I think it's really important that, that that's part of the perspective about what, you know, what we can do sort of as ordinary people in this really challenging time we're in. Oh yeah. Yeah. As, as a writer, as, as a creative person has, do you think it has stifled any, any of your creativity, just not being around like in, in the physical space? I don't think it has. I mean, I, you know, it's been an interesting, it's been an interesting experience, you know, probably for everybody, but I certainly have had a lot of, you know, I tend to be, I tend to be fairly productive. That doesn't mean I always think that I'm being so productive, but I tend to be fairly productive. And so I actually have been doing, working on a lot of different projects and doing my own writing, you know, doing the writing on Stargirl. And, and the other thing that's been happening again, for better or worse in our country right now, of course, you know, has all, has been all of this, all of the challenges of, of, of social unrest and 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 the, the the issues that are going on with law enforcement and people of color and and that has you know although that's been a challenging space and certainly continues to be and I think it needs to be looked at in a large way it it, it has facilitated a particular a particular kind of interest in in black writers so you know before I got the job on Star Girl 
through my manager, I was having a handful of meetings. You know, there were production companies that were reaching out and saying they wanted to meet me who hadn't met me before and wanted to pick my brain and wanted to talk with me about projects they were working on. And so that so that's been and there have been a handful of, you know, the work that I do is screenwriting a bunch of, you know, much of the time. But there's also I'm a playwright as well. So there have been a number of plays of mine that have you know, new things that have been commissioned, short plays that I've done, you know, sort of all in the, in this space that's kind of opened up for dialogue from, you know, Black, Indigenous, people of color writing stuff. And that, that actually has, you know, kind of created a, you know, kind of a wellspring of opportunity for, for all sorts of things, short plays and short play festivals and contests and you name it. So it's been a very busy time for me. And uh, that's, that's awesome. It, it's yeah. a shame that it has taken the lives of, of several people to, to generate, you know, a, a much needed conversation about this stuff, but yeah, yeah, uh, I agree. It's, uh, it is, it's really, <laughs> it's really tragic. And, and it's also, I think it's really good that we're beginning to have these conversations and that people are beginning to, Awareness around how how divided in some ways our society has been, continues to be, and you know some of the roots of all of that. It's it's been really good that we're we're beginning to be willing to talk about those things. Well, you 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 really interest the hell of me in that you you're you're Harvard and Yale educated, which I myself am a graduate of Jefferson State Community College and uh, cool. Congratulations. the uh, 2007 uh, Moon Pie Eating Contest winner of Excellent. Alabama. There you go. So, yeah, take that. No, <laughs> but what, what, what I'm saying is you started in, in, you know, a very structured, very there's there's a lot of high art in there, uh, I would expect. Yeah. And you're, you're able to to take Stargirl which is essentially a genre piece in what some people, you know, maybe 30, 20 years ago, 10 years ago would have considered low art. And you're able to uh, generate conversation with it. There's, and, you know, there's so much to say about all of that. I mean, first of all, my, my parents are retired educators. My mother was a guidance counselor. And so, you know, her goal and she was really clear about it with my brother and, and me was for us to go to schools, you know, to go to schools, educational institutions that were as, you know, as prestigious as possible so that so that we could compete in in white society with white people. That was her whole vision, you know, and I think that's not an unusual thing. I've, I've spoken to a lot of people who've, you know, who have sort of aimed or headed for the Ivy League who are who are people of color whose parents, you know, had that same kind of vision of this is the way to, you know, navigate society. This is the way to succeed. This is the way to do it. You know, my kids need to need to be able to navigate in this way. So, you know, I really, obviously I studied and all that stuff and took all those. Oh, I'm sure you worked in. your butt was, off. But, but, you know, my parents were very, in a loving way, were cracking the whip and really had the kind of sense of possibility, like they, they, they really laid that out and it was really part of the way I was raised. So, you know, I'm, I'm super happy to have gone to, to Yale and, and Harvard and to done, have done my playwriting stuff at Juilliard. Like that's all super cool and amazing. 
And, you know, one of the things I say sort of that I joke is, you know, that and a Metro card will get me across town. You know, at the end of the day, you know, <laughs> what I love about the education is I learned some, some stuff. It certainly gave me the opportunity to do some super cool networking because there are a lot of people who went to some of the places I went to who are in the business. And that's been really useful. And at the end of the day, you know, I've got to produce. I've got to, you know, I, I have learned how to, you know, and I have to sort of be on point in terms of my art, in terms of my presence in the writer's room, in terms of the scripts that I write, in terms of all of those things. Like, a lot of shoe leather, in other words. It's, not, well, not it's, just... I mean, it's basically like no matter what the degree on the wall says, like I got to show up and, and, yeah. and produce and keep sort of, you know, putting out the work and moving through the work and all of that stuff. And yeah, so yeah, all of that. And, you know, as far as Stargirl, I have... I have honestly wanted to be, I, I grew up, one of the things about my parents is my, you know, as I said, my, my parents are educators. My, my father spent his professional life as an art teacher and, you know, and also as a visual artist. And I fell in love with comic books when I was, you know, 10 or some or so. What, what was that first one that, what, what hooked you? Well, I think Spider-Man always has my heart. Like I'm just, I'm such a Spider-Man freak. Like I just feel like the sense of, of, you know, what Stan Lee and Steve Ditko did in that, in that book. And just the sense of that character as a person who was trying to figure out how to live in the world, like had these amazing powers, but also, you know, was struggling to just survive. And how do you survive? Even though, you know, on the one hand, you're able to do these superhuman and amazing things. And on the other hand, you know, how do you make a living and how do you, you know, how do you, how do, how do you have relationships? How do you live with your aunt? How do you go to school? Like all of those things I really related to. So it was really, you know, it started out about Spider-Man and then it just become, became about so many different, you know, X-Men and the Avengers and, you know, Shazam and Superman and the Flash and, you know, you name it. And I, you know, I still have like my collection of I think it's like 1200 comic books at this point that I, that I'm, I keep thinking, and they're all like from the seventies, you know? Oh, wow. I keep thinking like, Oh, I really want to, part of me really wants to sell them. And yet just looking at them makes me incredibly happy. And, you know, <laughs> but it was, it was fascinating that before I, before high school, I went to Catholic school and there were some families, you know, you talk about the lowbrow art stuff. There were some families in my elementary school and some kids I knew who you know, the more I was talking about comic books with some of my friends, you know, there were there were kids whose parents, you know, told me like, oh, my parents don't let us read those things, you know, like that. That is like too lowbrow or that is too like, you know, you know, so I was hearing that from. I heard that in the South, too. Just yeah, it, not sure. not that it was lowbrow, that it was uh, that, that's of the devil. <laughs> that's yeah. 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 A lot of Pentecostals, a lot of Baptists around here. Yeah. But it's interesting because I think ultimately, you know, I became an English major and, you know, and then started to write. But before in the English major phase, what I realized that that I think that kind of line of thinking doesn't really give give credit for is that a lot of the, you know, anybody who's a comic book reader uh, and knows and knows literature, like a lot of the the characters in 
comic books are based on or named after like famous literary characters or famous oh, yeah. literary tropes or you know and you get into that sense you get you start to realize that there's a huge connection to you know classical literature and classical characters and you know geography and history and culture and all of those things are 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 wrapped up in the comic book world in a way that I didn't even know I was being sort of educated about these things until you know, until much later. And, and I was like, oh, well, here's this, you know, not only was I having fun, but here's this education I didn't even know that I was getting. So I've, I've been really eager to be in the television space on a superhero show. And this is the first time it's happened in whatever, like five shows I've been on. And I'm super grateful. That, that's part of the Berlanti verse, correct? It is. It is part of the Berlanti verse. Yes. And in fact, you know, the show that I was on before Stargirl, which was God friended me on CBS, was also part of the Berlanti verse. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. I had no idea. Yes, but not a superhero show. So in some ways, I've sort of, you know, transferred to a different branch of the family, but but really happy to be in, in the DC universe. So you you also do quite a bit of acting. Are are you transitioning away from that now and and focusing more strictly on on your writing? Well, I'll tell you when I first moved to Los Angeles, which was in 2010, my intention was to get TV writing work. And so I had spent decades really in the industry as an actor and I love I love that space and and really when I when I moved across the country, you know, the intention was to make a shift so I've certainly put writing in the driver's seat, which is what I came here to do. And, you know, I love acting. I was, you know, I was in a, I, I created a web series that I was in. I, you know, I've, well, It was I, lovely, by the way, the Send Me. Yes, yes, yeah. Really, really well done. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, we're, we're, we're talking about doing more of it, which is a whole conversation. But, but yeah, so, I, you know, I've done that. I've done, you know, I've had a commercial agent. I've been on a ton of episodic TV uh, I've, I've, you know, I've really got, I've really got the acting space sort of in my blood and in my DNA. And, and for me now, you know, given my schedule with Stargirl and, and, you know, the television world, I'm grateful to say, cause this doesn't happen to everybody, but the TV world as a writer is what currently pays my bills. And, you know, I'm still interested in, I'm still interested in doing, doing a lot of acting and being in juicy roles in, in things that I create, things that other people create. And, and for me now, it's really, it's a matter of, you know, it's a matter of when I have room to do that and making those connections and all of that. But I, I, I think, you know, acting is part of my soul and I certainly, certainly continue to and want to continue to, to do it. So you, you mentioned this as part of your soul, like the, what, what feeds it? Like when, when I do creative stuff, it, it really does feel like you're, you're kind of feeding your soul in a way and just yeah. kind of not, not just as a means of like self-expression, but just otherwise you have that stuff in there and there's no other way to get it out, man. Yeah. So I, agree. Uh, I mean, I think, what, that, you know, to me, it goes back to the caveman. It's like this, the notion of storytelling, the notion of, you know, sitting around a campfire, but, you know, as, as, as we know that 
ancient people did and on some level we still do sitting around like whatever it is whether it's in a theater space or or television like the the sense of exchanging stories and the, the idea of and in some ways you know it's the same thing that makes a podcast like yours you know so inviting and so exciting like that we are i think as human beings hungry to hear an exchange of ideas and exchange of experiences you know to have something that happens to me you know that is either challenging or joyful and to exchange that story with somebody else who has either had that experience and can relate to it and feel uplifted by it or who hasn't had that experience and is super curious about what that experience was like i feel like you know that's that kind of exchange is that's really part of what I don't know, lights me up on the planet and I think has lightened, has, you know, lit people up for, you know, for centuries, like that sense of, of having those kinds of exchanges. And so to me, you know, everything that I do, I think is about storytelling. Like as an actor, you know, I've been, I, I have a lot of experience about interpreting stories, you know, as a writer, I'm creating stories, you know, and I also, have have worked and continue to work as a coach for writers and you know encouraging people to to tell their own stories and as a coach you know I'm interpreting you know I'm sort of helping people channel their own basically sort of giving them encouragement around ways to channel their own stories you know so so for me it's that's that's the part that's connected to my soul it's all about storytelling either like interpreting or creating stories or, or blessing people to tell their own stories. You know, I really feel like that's, that's why I'm on the planet. And I feel like that's why there are, you know, there are so many people who have the gift to tell their stories. And, you know, I feel like that's part of what life is really about is that exchange. I mean, there's so, the other thing is like, there's so much connected to that. There's so much isolation in, you know, perhaps especially in a time like, these COVID days where we literally, you know, need to be either by ourselves or with our loved ones. And, you know, how can we, you know, we know that statistically that, that Netflix and streaming services are, you know, those industries are booming and companies like Zoom are booming. And, you know, it's all about making those connections. So I really feel like, you know, that's a worthwhile, it's always going to be a worthwhile thing to to spread that, to learn to do that, to do that more, to challenge myself to do it differently, to encourage other people, you know, to watch stuff. I just feel like, you know, I'm really hungry for it. And I think a lot of people are too. So, yeah. Do you, do you miss the collaborative aspect of, because when you write, especially now, you're, you're kind of giving up the collaborative association of, of when you act because because you're not among other people well it depends i mean that's the thing that i think is miraculous so first of all you know to me the big the big magilla around the acting space is there is nothing like using yourself you know your physical self your body your voice your you know the way you whatever the way you stand the way you gesture the way you speak the way you uh, you know, all of that to actually use yourself as an embodiment of story and to kind of channel the story through your physical being is like nothing else. You know, it's sort of like being, you know, whatever, possessed by the spirit of whoever. Oh, yeah. Peace and, totally. and that's incredible. That's like, you know, that's incredible. 
the writing space, though, especially in certainly in theater when things get produced. I mean, look, I've had a couple of, you know, three or four of my of my pieces that are that have been produced during COVID. And the sense of, you know, I directed a short piece for some theater producers got together and did an evening called While We Breathe. And, and I created a piece for that, which was a 10 minute play about, you know, brother and sister speaking to each other on Zoom, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic. And one of them is checking on the other and trying to make sure she hasn't gone out, you know. So they're having this very intense conversation. And I, and I chose to and asked the producers whether they were cool with me directing the piece. You know, so there oh, I cool. was in, in this collaborative space. You know, there we were on Zoom, not in the same room. You know, one of the actors is, was in Denmark. You know, the other actor oh, wow. was in, in, in Los Angeles. I actually was in, when I directed it, I was actually in Nevada at the time. And so there we were. And then there were these other producers who I'm not even sure where they were. I'm sure some people were in New York. And we found this mutual time. And there we are all on Zoom and talking about it and, you know, doing this kind of crazy rehearsal and where we're, you know, we're both talking to them and they're talking to each other, but not, but we're recording one at a time. And we had to sort of do all this, you know, how do you do that? How do you, you know, how do you figure out those different ways to kind of piece a thing together? You know, hugely collaborative. You know, obviously different from channeling it through my own body, but collaborative nonetheless. And so, you know, so that kind of thing, other theater pieces that I've done where either I've directed it or I haven't, I'm at a rehearsal and uh, there's a rehearsal of a piece that I'm, of mine that's being done in New Jersey. And I'm intending to be at a rehearsal on Sunday. And that's going to be the same thing. It's going to be like, we're all, we're, we're all on Zoom. I've written the piece. I've never met these actors before. And, you know, so I think the sense of collaboration certainly, in my experience at least, continues. And that's, you know, that's really exciting. I think that's what it's all about. And, I, and you know, and I guess I want to say too, like, that's my big advice for anybody who's, who's out there looking to do stuff is to do stuff. Like, you know, even in COVID <laughs> days, like, get on Zoom, get on whatever, get on Skype, get on FaceTime and, you know, rehearse and talk and connect and it's entirely possible to do that. So, you know, we, sh we should all be doing it more. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I write comics and one thing I've, I've told cool. a lot of people is that, you know, if stop bitching about it and actually, actually do it. Like mm -hmm. you gotta, you gotta get out and, and actually start doing things. And then you realize either a, this is awesome. I, I love uh, collaborating with, with other people and, you know, making this thing or, B, this is awful. I, I hate this. This is not as good as I wanted to be. And then you go and find something else because creativity doesn't stop. Yes. You know, in, in any one space, which right. is, you know, kind of your whole deal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I'm trying for that to be, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful and I, yeah, I, that is my intention for that to continue to be my whole deal. It's, it's, I feel really blessed and really excited about being able to, you know, live the life I have and have the career I have and, and keep creating stuff. So, yeah, you, you, you went to Hollywood in 2010 and now you're, you, you've been involved with some, some very big shows. So <laughs> that you, you kind of hit the ground running. So what's, what's next? Like, like right now you're, you're doing the Stargirl thing. Are, are, have they, that hasn't even premiered yet, have it? 
Has uh, yes. So Stargirl, yeah, there's so much to say about Stargirl. And, and so much, you know, certain things I'm allowed to say, certain things I'm not allowed to say. But yeah, yeah, don't, don't get been, in trouble. Like, yeah, I want no, you to no, be no, around no, for season no, two. Not, not about to have anybody mad at me. But I, so Stargirl is, it's, it's, it's on the CW. It's, it's based on a comic book character created by Jeff Johns, who is my boss and also created the series. And I want to talk about that in a minute too. Yes. Yes. So, so Stargirl was originally created for DC Universe, which was the a streaming series that, that DC had. And, and the first series, the first season, so it has premiered, the first season premiered on DC Universe. And then when the pandemic hit and the CW, I guess, was looking for more content, Stargirl then moved over to the CW and actually did, you know, all 13 episodes of the first season were shown on on the CW, yeah, kind of in the late summer, I think. Anyway, so you, and you can now see them on CWTV.com, so you can find all the episodes there. And it's it's just a beautiful season. One of the things about Jeff, who is, you know, who I've discovered, and, and perhaps I should have known this when I had my interview with him, but he's, you know, I mean, you you probably know, and a lot of your listeners know, but he's like super famous and super accomplished in the oh, comic yeah. book world and movies and TV stuff. And he's just an amazing person. He's kind and generous and funny and humble and talented. And he's a great person to work for. I feel so fortunate. But he based Stargirl on his sister who passed away in a plane crash some years ago. And so... You know, one of the reasons why that's really powerful to know is that it really, on some level, it really speaks to how and why Jeff comes from a really sort of open-hearted space for this particular show. You know, he's very, our show is so, and I've been on other, obviously, non-superhero shows that were not like this, but our show is super character-based. And we're always talking from a character perspective about, you know, how is this character sort of moving ahead and what's her emotional space and where's the, you know, where's the the big emotional peak in this particular story? And, you know, how does she feel about X and how does she feel about Y and what are these challenges? And, you know, so it's, you know, one of the great things about Jeff is that he, in, in wanting to create a show and he succeeded in this, that that looks and feels different from a lot of other superhero shows, you know, even in the DC universe, even on the CW, you know, we've got certain things that we do in our show that other shows perhaps don't do. And one of those things, for example, that Jeff talks about a lot is our show does not have, you know, a super, super battle every episode. You know, we will always build up to a confrontation and and then perhaps have episodes where there isn't one, you know. And and it's all about kind of, you know, creating the energy of and the momentum of a particular storyline, of a particular conflict. Jeff thinks of the entire season of an entire season of television like a movie. And so, you know, so we're moving through like you know, beginning, middle, and end within our 13 episodes and creating several different arcs that, you know, that, that, you know, just creates a really beautiful structure for what we get to do. And it also means that our episodes are incredibly, can be incredibly different from one another because, you know, 
we're we're on a journey with these characters and that's what we're trying to do is it hard to write within that structure especially when the character of star girl is there's such an emotional attachment to that character by your boss i guess is it is it obviously you know like oh i gotta respect this character as much as possible but also is it is it hard to write anything for that character that 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 puts her in in emotional spaces no i don't think it's not that it's not that jeff i think believes that the character can only do i don't know it's not it's not really like we're trying to you know paint her in any sort of saintly way i feel like you know the character of courtney whitmore is is flawed and is you know she she's you know there's a there's a ton of humanity sort of that flows through the character and and there are times when she has a different perspective than her stepdad or you know and and you know for for those who haven't seen the show you know our our actors are really amazing and uh, she's amazing and Luke Wilson plays uh, her stepdad uh, Pat Dugan and you know there's a ton of other really amazing actors in in the show but I but I really think that that you know they're one of the core things that happens between Courtney and her stepdad Pat is that they they clash. We know they clash, you know. And part of the challenge is, you know, one of the things that we talk about in the room is how the best clashes, the most appropriate clashes between Pat and Courtney are when both of them right in their way. You know, Jeff talks about this show, and I think it's true that the show is a show for people Pat's age, you know, like their their adults can really dig this show. And, you know, the majority of characters in the show are in high school, so are like, you know, Courtney's 16 in the show. So, so the sense of having a show that appeals to both adults and to kids, you know, is really partly what we're trying to do. And, and in, in preserving that, and in preserving the sort of energy of these characters... You know, we have these we have these clashes between the two of them where both characters are have a reasonable perspective. It's just not the other <laughs> character's perspective. And that's super fun, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I remember the comic, the Stars and Stripe comic. Yes. Back in the like the nineties, I guess. And is when I found out that they were doing a show based on it and it was going to be, you know, for for the audience that they made it for, is I was like that's a no-brainer that mm-hmm. that it it's it makes sense completely mm-hmm. so has it what, what are the challenges for writing for an audience that is you know n- not just a youth-oriented audience but you you also have to keep the adults kind of happy and you know into it is it do you do you have to work any different on your scripts yeah, that's an interesting question. I don't know that I don't know that we I don't know that these scripts are are constructing these scripts feels different really from other shows I've been on. Really because we're so focused on the characters and it's really about, you know, it's really about how to lean into whatever the conflicts are that are happening both, you know, between the between and among the characters but also but also sort of within them, you know, I mean, there is, there's always this sense, and this goes back to my love of Spider-Man and 
Jeff and I talked about this in my interview, you know, because I, I, you know, that whole sense, as I was saying, like, what, what does it mean to be a regular person, but also to have, you know, the power to save lives? And how do you use that in a good way? And what does it mean when you don't, or, or even when you think you don't, you know, perhaps you've done something that you, that you're, that, that ostensibly was quote unquote, the right thing to do in the heat of battle. And yet, you know, and yet maybe it's problematic to you sort of after the fact, you know, those are the kinds of things that, that, that our show is full of, you know, lots of different kinds of conflicts about, about that kind of thing. And I feel like that's a very human, those are very human questions. And I think very similarly, like in, in God friended me, you know, the whole notion of, of Miles Finer, like having this superpower, this ability to help people, but not necessarily knowing how to do it or, you know, or how not to do it and, and, and uh, bumping up against challenges with, you know, with his dad or with his sister or with his girlfriend or, you know, those, those things are, you know, those are the building blocks of drama. I think they're, I think it's the same here. You know, there is, there is a sensibility that Stargirl has, which I love, which, which is, you know, we definitely lean into, you know, it's definitely a fantasy and, you know, and, and there is a sense of, you know, we spent, we've spent a lot of time in the writer's room this year, and I know they did last year as well, doing things like watching movies and, you know, and talking about the movies after the fact. And, you know, and a lot of those are movies like, you know, Back to the Future or, you know, Young Sherlock Holmes, things like that. And, and there's a real sense of trying to mine the sort of energy of those kinds of in some ways family friendly, but in some ways sort of seminal, you know, at least from the 70s, 80s, those movies that sort of felt like they were for everybody, you know, like these, the, the kind of the sweep of those movies and the kind of Americana of those movies and sort of the energy of those movies. And, and on some level, even though there's danger in those movies, there's a lightheartedness too that we, that I think the show sort of manages nicely, even in the space of danger. So you know, all of those elements actually make it really fun to work on this show. And uh, yeah, I just, it's, it's been a really, really delightful experience. I also have to say too, cause you know, speaking of collaborative, like in TV, we write in teams and, you know, we've got this amazing group of writers that are funny and talented and experienced and generous. And like, it's, it's, it's perhaps one of the best writers rooms I've ever been in, in terms of like, People are really cool. It's a really cool bunch of people. <laughs> and we just have a really good time together. And, and that's that's gold. And I think I, I make up that, and of course we'll have to see when the new season premieres, but I, I make up that that really sort of shows in the work. Like, you know, we'll create the stories together and then one of us will go off and write that particular episode. But you can really, I can really feel the, the sort of, I don't know, the love in the scripts. And I feel like that's pretty cool that's awesome that's awesome I, I i also see that you're you have another show in the pipe tell me your secrets yeah are you able to talk about that at all it's <laughs> a good question yeah i can talk a little bit about tell me your secrets tell it seems secrets. like such a a departure from from star girl i'm i'm yes. curious you know the it the dichotomy 100%. between that it is it is it is quite a departure so 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 the thing about Tell Me Your Secrets was I was on this, I was on Tell Me Your Secrets in, I want to say, 
2018. Holy smokes. Uh, so it's been a while. And, and, and it, was, it was originally created for TNT. It's sort of a, it's, it's hard to describe in a way, but it's kind of a, it's kind of a slightly David Lynchian sort of uh, oh, wow. female-centered sort of dark story that's sort of pulpy and weird. And yeah, it's, it's hard to describe. It's, it's basically, yeah, it's, it's basically about, it's basically about kind of moving through grief and starting your life over. And, you know, it's, it's got some sort of creepiness to it. It feels very, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really sort of interesting, it's an interesting show created by a woman named Harriet Warner and, uh, and, you know, starring Lily Rabe and, She's amazing. Uh, she's amazing. Hamish Linkletter. You know, it's just, it's an incredible cast. And so, so I was on that show in, in 2018. And then the show was, we made it for TNT and then it didn't air on TNT, but then it got sold to HBO Max and it was going to air on HBO Max. And then, and then HBO Max ended up not airing it, but Amazon has now purchased it. So it's going to oh, be cool, cool. Prime. Yes. In 2021, and and actually, all episodes of Tell Me Your Secrets will drop in February, February 19th. Oh, I'm excited for that. So, yes. j- just so. your description of it, I was like, "Oh, David, Lin- I'm sold." Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's it's quite a, it's quite a ride, and you know, and I think on some level, I'd never written any, I'd never written on a show like that before either. But but again, like we tried to we tried to sort of follow the path of these characters who are who have very sort of particular and strange, you know, life problems, but are trying to sort of get on track. And yeah, I, I can't say too much about it, but it's, it'll all drop on February 19th on Amazon prime. So people should check it out. Cause I, I mean, the, the other thing that's interesting is that was a show, the rare show for me where I didn't get to go on set. And so I haven't seen any of it. Oh, really? Yeah, I wrote wrote two episodes and of course collaborated with the team on all 10 episodes, but I haven't seen any of it. So, I'm curious to see it too. So, you'll watch the show and be like, "Oh my gosh, I'm clever. <laughs> I'm amazing." <laughs> It'll be all brand new to you. <laughs> I mean, the funny thing is, and it's just part of the process speaking of collaboration, is that sometimes you write stuff, I've written stuff, and you, you know, if you're not on set, you hand it over, you hand it over to your, to your showrunner and they hand it over to a director and actors get involved and production people and production decisions get made. And, you know, the look and the style and, you know, you can see something that was, you know, it becomes a little bit like a game of telephone. And, and, and ultimately, you're, you know, it's, it's, it is possible to be like, oh, that, that's what they, that's what they did with that. Oh, that's interesting. So yeah. as someone who has written also a lot of theater going from writing what I assume in theater is, is mostly kind of insular and you, you write the script and then you give the script to the team or whatever. Uh, is it hard to see somebody mess with your script after you? <laughs> you know, it can be, I think the thing, the big difference between for me between theater and television is you know, and somebody, I think on my first show, somebody joked, somebody said this, and, and I'll never forget it. You know, they were kind of like, well, you know, whatever happens, it's going to be on. 
you know, so the idea that it's like, it's going to get produced. And in theater, I can't tell you how many things I've written that, you know, some of which have been produced, which I'm really happy about, but I've written a ton of stuff theatrically that has not been produced. And so, and, and also that, you know, I wrote for the love of it and there was no financial, like there was no money. It didn't get produced. It's in a drawer. I love it. You know, it's like one of my, I think of all the things that I write, like my children. So yes. So some of my children have sort of been out in the world and others, like I love them, but they're sort of sitting in the drawer, you know? So, so on the one hand, it can be really disappointing to see something that you've created that turns out differently than you imagined. And at the same time, I'm so thrilled to see the things that I've created actually get made, you know, and to know that in the TV world, you know, millions of people will see this thing. Like more people will see one episode of television, five minutes of some television piece that I've written than will ever see my plays. Like that's, that's kick ass. That's like really <laughs> incredible, you know? So I, so I, 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 you know, I can't, I don't get too upset. The other thing is, you know, so far at least, except for with send me, like, these are not my babies. Like I do think about, and it not in a bad way, but it's a good analogy. I think of television writing sort of like babysitting, you know, it's like, you've got all these writers. So there's a hierarchy. There's like a head babysitter and then there's like the new babysitter. But the showrunner is the only person who gave birth to that child. So even though as a babysitter, I'm trying to do my best by the baby, like, you know, give it the right kind of food or dress it well or whatever, you know, that person who's the parent really gets to say, you know, no, 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 you know, she doesn't wear blue or no, 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 she doesn't eat, you know, oatmeal. And they get to say that. So, so unless it's my baby, which in, in all of these t television cases, it has not been my baby, you know, on some level, you got to give that up, which has got to be like, yeah, okay, it's, it's his show or it's her show or, you know, I just don't get to have the last word. So I don't, I think it's really important professionally to, you know, to find this level of detachment and be, be willing to sort of see things transform because I can't wrestle it to the ground and make it what I want. It's, you know. No, no, man. Okay, so I live about 30 minutes outside of Birmingham, and um, I don't know what the deal is. Occasionally we get craziness with our internet, but it's never happened mid-interview. Right. So. Okay. Hey. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So we were. <sighs> yeah, we were talking about, I was saying how the, you know, the material isn't mine. It's like I'm not you know, sort of my babysitting analogy. Like, so I, I try to be really detached about the notion of, you know, of how it all goes ultimately because it's not my baby. Can we talk about something that is your baby? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I have both your kids. No, I'm just... Send me an original yes. web series. When I read the premise of the show, I, I love Tommy Wimey stuff. Also, mm. I, I'm a history buff. Mm. The last thing any sensible black person would want to do would be go back into the past. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yes, uh, what was, what was the impetus God. for that? Yeah. You know, I, I, there were, there were a bunch of inspirations uh, for it. It was great, by the way. Thank you. I'm really, I'm really proud of it. And, you know, it's send me is on, it's on YouTube. You can find it, you know, like you did. So, you know, people can go check it out. And I, I'm really, 
I'm really pleased with it. I mean, we, you know, our our lead actress Tracy Toms was nominated for an Emmy in 2016, and uh, it's got to be so, a good feeling. So exciting, so exciting. You know, there are a couple of things that sort of led to it. One of the real world things was that I I had been on the TV series Covert Affairs as a writer for two seasons, and then the job ended, and then. You know, I was I was in the process of looking for the next job, and and actually, you know, that took a handful of years, like three years. I wasn't in a writer's room, which you know sometimes is the way it happens. And I was really looking to create some of my own material. And somebody told me I was working with a, a mentor, a guy named uh, Mark Scott Zickery, who wrote the Twilight Zone Companion and has written a lot of a lot of sci-fi stuff. And he was saying to me, look, if you want to be a showrunner, then create a show and run it. You know, prove yourself <laughs> to the industry that you can do that. You know, and I was like, oh, what a great idea. And I had just watched, there was a news report at the time about a middle school that was teaching about the Civil War by having their students do reenactments. And my mother and I had both, it was odd, we'd both seen this news report at the same, on the same day. And in the news report, this, this reporter had interviewed this young white girl and she was playing a union soldier. And she was like, yeah, it's really hard because your friends, they die. And, you know, and, I, and, and the whole report, you know, really kind of annoyed me. And I was talking to my mom who, you know, as I said, the retired educator. And I was like, mom, that's just, just wrong. Like if you want to, if you really want to do the civil war, then you should have all the all the women sit out, all the girls should sit out. You should just have the guys. You should you know not. You should have the have all the black people sit out. Like okay, maybe there's some black yeah. troops, so maybe you have a few black guys, but the black girls should sit out. Like all these people should be sitting out, you know, and then and let them deal with that. You know, my mother's like that's terrible because people would feel left out, and I was like, mom, this is the Civil War. It's all about like you know separating people out. Like that's the whole thing. You know, so we got into this little discussion about that. And it end, I ended up writing this short play actually called How to Teach the Civil War, which is sort of about some of that stuff. But, you know, I had that. that idea and it was combined with this other thing. You know, as you said, you love time travel stuff. I've always thought as a kid growing up that as I watched time travel stuff, I always thought that I would never want to do it. You know, for exactly <laughs> what you said, like, why would I like... You know, and so so all these time travel movies have, you know, these these white protagonists who end up, you know, they can go back to wherever and they just have put on an accent and a hat and they can blend in. And I was always like, I could never do that. It's so, so much savior complex, too, in a lot of the time travel things. It's really annoying. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, you know, so I anyway, these two ideas kind of collided in my brain. And then I thought, well, what would happen if, you know. I could go back to this one particular time or would I want to do that? Or, you know, and I just started playing around with it and it just started to kind of, you know, grow in my brain. And, and I thought, Oh yeah, this is juicy. Like, let's do something with this. That's, that's awesome. One thing that, that always gets stuck in my craw is people teaching, you know, basically the truth of slavery and or, or excuse me, not teaching the truth of slavery, yes, not right. teaching the truth of the Civil War, yeah. because it it's been, the history has been 
molded in such a way that nobody is wrong. Nobody <laughs> has any, you know, th- there's no responsibility for any of it. And it, you can thank the Daughters of the Confederacy for a lot of that. You can thank. And yeah, so when that building burned a, a few months ago, I was very happy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, the thing is for, for anybody who, for the people who haven't seen it out there, you know, Send Me is basically, it's about a black woman who has the power passed down through generations to send black people back in time to the days of slavery. And, and in the series, people want to go. And, uh, you know, they have to pay money for the privilege to go. So, you know, so it's a little off the hook. And and her husband, which is the part that I play, doesn't want her to continue doing this. And she has her reasons, which we which we find out sort of later on in the series. But what became really fascinating to me is the idea of, you know, Black people who are... And, and so this, the series, you know, it's basically like Black people who are interested in taking this journey and why they're interested. And so the first part of that process, you know, the part of the vetting process is for people to send in a video, you know, like a little talking head video saying, here's what I would do if I went and here's why I would go. And so the the series, which is all of the whole first season is all 40 minutes long and it, and it's 17 parts. And the first, the first several parts, the first like 11 parts are these like one minute or little more than one minute videos of these people who are talking to the camera, you know, hoping to be chosen. And, you know, it's one of the, it's one of the, my favorite parts of the series, just because you get all these people with all these different perspectives, some of whom want to go back and like kill people for revenge. Some of whom want to sort of, they would, they would like to kind of prove that they could do it. Like, could I survive that? Am I tough enough? Am I black enough? Am I, you know, and those, the idea of, of those kinds of pretzels that we put ourselves into as people of color, as black people, to me, that's a really interesting exploration. And then the last six, the last six episodes of the series are these sort of narrative episodes where you find out who gets chosen and you kind of, you know, get into the story of this woman who's able to do it. And and it becomes a little, you know, just sort of takes all the momentum of those interviews and kind of molds it into this dramatic space. And yeah, we, we had a great time making it. Do you have any more stories in, in that arena? Do you, do you think that you're done there? Is that no, something? No, I'm definitely not done there. <laughs> in fact, it's been interesting because, because as a result of making that, I got my next job, which was on American Crime, working with John Ridley, who's brilliant. That's amazing. And, uh, yeah, and he and I have, you know, have, have become friends and and have been in the process of trying to trying to market a version of that for television. So there's been a whole bunch of stuff that's happened with it in terms of different versions that I've created, and you know, we had this whole process of trying to sell it, which which didn't pan out in the way that I had hoped. And so in the moment, and we talked about a film version and we talked about a number of different things. At the moment, I'm considering creating a season two that that might actually be animated. Oh, wow. wow. So, yeah. So because there's so much in developing it for television, there's so much more story there about, you know, both what happens back in time and what happens to the family and what are the 
you know, there are a bunch of things. I mean, I, in, in creating the material for, you know, pitching it, you know, I've got five seasons of ideas that, you know, directly come out of that story and, you know, I'm, I'm itching to, to explore it. So, so we'll see what happens. I mean, I'm currently looking for an animator and beginning to, you know, be on the, in the baby steps of that process. Yeah, there's a lot more story there. I would love to see that expanded. I, I could see that on, I, you don't need to, me to tell you how great you are. However, <laughs> I mean, I could see that <laughs> sure, on like ahead. HBO or something. Something. small ears. <laughs> no, I could see it on HBO or something like that, especially today, you know, in, in 2020, when it seems like people are more willing to take the chance to, to watch shows that deal with harder truths and yes. harder subjects. I think, I think you're right. And I think one of the things that I love about it is literally, I think the truth is that whatever you think of that period of time in our country, it literally lives in the DNA of all of us who live in this country. Like whether you want to talk about it or not, whether you want to think about it or not, it's part of who we are as a people. And so the, 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 you know, the metaphor really is, is exactly that. It's, it's how do you take these 21st century black people and how do you talk about how this thing, this history lives within them? Like that's the core yeah. of, of the show. And so I think everyone, everyone who lives in this country has some relationship to, to that past, whether they want to look at it or not. And, and, and the show kind of explodes that idea. Well, there's so much, like, as an example, the, what is it, Lovecraft Country show. Yeah, Lovecraft Country. Has introduced people to so many things, I think, that they would not have been introduced to otherwise. Like, I I knew about Black Wall Street and the bombing of that, but my wife looked at me and said, what the hell is this? That They never taught us about this in school. Right, that's right. And uh, things like colorism. It yeah. never occurred to me. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think it is, it's really great to be, you know, in an age where, you know, where you can, where these things are, you know, Watchmen and, and shows like that and, and Lovecraft Country are taking these, you know, these pieces of history and, and, you know, developing them and expanding them and telling stories about them in ways that are now illuminating a whole new audience. That's, and, that's exciting. Yeah, and, and it's, it's the medicine you need with a spoonful of sugar. So you, mm-hmm. you don't even realize you're getting – I honestly think uh, Lovecraft Country should be taught in a college course because mm-hmm. there's so many concepts in that show just within the confines of like one episode that, holy crap. Yeah, um, yeah. And it, it's not preachy. It's like, oh, this is a thing. Here's how it happens, and you see it. So, yeah. Yeah. So – what when you're writing in in the process of writing like do you do you have to have anything going on in the background yeah i always ask people this and i always get a different answer yeah i think for me for me it really depends on the day you know it's kind of like one of my metaphors that i use and i'm always searching for a good metaphor so god help me but is it's sort of i think of writing or i try to think of writing the way i think of eating and you know, 
obviously it's one has to eat to live. So you do it. We all do it in different ways. Like sometimes you do it. I'll do it on the run. You you grab something, I'll grab something. And it's like, you know, grab something for 10 minutes and I'll run. Some, Some days I'm sitting there for hours and hours, like if it's Thanksgiving or holiday. And so I think of my writing has the same kind of, I don't know, amorphousness to it. Like sometimes I'm listening to music and sometimes it's silence. And sometimes I'm writing for hours and hours and sometimes I'm dropping in for 15 minutes, you know, and sometimes I'm doing stuff and I've outlined every moment out and other times I'm just sort of, you know, I'm I'm just kind of like, you know, just letting it rip and sort of seeing what I can download. So for me, all over the map, it just depends on the day and the mood and the piece that I'm working on. Just depends. So you're inside your head a lot. I'm sure when you're writing, even even in a group setting, what what do you do? Because I'm sure it's exhausting getting all this stuff out there, and especially making sure that everything lines up. I don't know that I'm always in my head. I mean, look, there's a, and I'm going to get it wrong, but Jeff Johns talks about how there are four places that people write from. You know, your head, uh, your heart. You know, I don't know what the two others are. I can't really remember at the moment, although I will remember. But, you know, but I think that that it's not always. Yeah. He says your head, your heart, your muscle or your gut, you know, and 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 I think that in that way, it's not always. I mean, the head thing seems to make it sound really intellectual, but I think it's I think there is something really visceral about, you know, I talked about in the acting space, kind of like the channeling of it. I think there is some channeling that happens in my writing that's not necessarily intellectual, you know? So I do feel like there are impulses that come from all kinds of different places. And yeah, I mean, and I think it's important to kind of like release that, like, what do I do to release that? You know, I try to try to meditate. I try to exercise. I try to like, you know, get out in the world and take walks and be in the sun and, try to read stuff. I try to, you know, I try to sort of mix it up. I hear you. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. So but I, I do feel like there are, there are a bunch of different places that different kinds of sectors that I write from. It's not all, it's not, it's not always in the head. And I also think too, like I'm always wary of both in my own work and in, you know, when I coach writers, I'm wary of even using the word perfect. Like in, I, I, nothing is perfect, right? You can say like maybe a newborn baby is perfect or a leaf or a flower is perfect. But I think in the world of art, my explorations with art are always about trying to make peace with the imperfectness of it and just be, commit to putting something down. I hear you. One thing that I always like to ask people in the comics community, especially it's it's hard on small businesses right now. Comic shops are the lifeblood of the comics industry. Do you have one that you can shout out? Wow. I don't. I don't. I could pretend, but I don't. I, no. <laughs> At least you're, <laughs> I think what I've been doing mostly is, and this is really sparked by, you know, working on a superhero show, is I've, I've suddenly gotten into the, so the digital comics kind of world. Nice. Yeah. You know? It's just... Especially when you have so many in your basement already. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, yeah. So you know, so I've 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 been uh, 
getting emails from Comixology and, you know, and, and, and downloading, downloading some titles onto my iPad. And that's really the, that's really what I've been doing of late. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I'm not really sure. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's some great comic book stores out there and, and yes, I, I, I'm with you. I, I think they all deserve to be patronized and I don't have one on the tip of my tongue. Though. <laughs> it's all good. Well, well, Steve, I, I don't want to take, too much more of your time up. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, Casey, um, it's been really fun. I'm really happy to be. It's here. been and, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, to you know continuing to listen to your podcast and cheering you guys on. And I'm uh, really glad to be on. It's it's been a pleasure. And, and I'm sorry I, I dropped out in the middle there. That's the first time that's happened. So, but we'll, we'll stitch it back together. If you ever have anything else you want to talk about, by all means, hit us up. We'll be cool. more than happy to talk to you. I, I enjoyed I enjoyed our time, man. Yeah, super fun. Uh, thanks right, again. Take it easy. Please stay safe. Yes, um, you too. It's, it's getting scary, man. It is. It's getting really scary out there. All right. Be well. All right. Take care. All right. Same to you. Goodbye. Bye. Who did the interview? Casey. Oh, you wreck. Okay. (laughs) I like cutting you off, man, or back. It it throws you off guard. It's fun for me. (laughs) I kind of think you probably know what I was going to say. I I do, but uh, if you want to go ahead and say it again. Oh, I was going to say, are we waiting our obligatory 30 seconds for no reason? (laughs) We did. And we were. Yeah, yeah, we did. did. Now everybody knows. People know behind the scenes info of how we do this. That's right. That's right. It's it's No, no. We listen, we listen to magic. it with them, Kendrick. No, <laughs> yeah. we listen to it with them. We sat here and listened to the whole thing while we're doing this. We did not uh, just pause for 30 seconds. it that way? I mean... I mean, it, it would, might work. If we're in the same room, Yeah, that would work. We could do that. Right. Well, the, and it would be interesting because you would get live reactions. Yeah, it would be. But then I'd have a hard time not like pausing and commenting. <laughs> you know what we should do? Oh, I just had an idea. What's that? Before actually, well, before we get into that, let's let me ask: What'd you think of Steve Harper and Casey? I thought it was great. I thought it was great. I love I, lo- I love all of our interviews and their different ways they attack an interview because it always comes out. I'm like, oh, that was great. I'm glad they did it. And but I feel the same way about every interview that everybody does. So yeah, writers are always so interesting. They they have such a different outlook on life. You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 interesting. The writers that we've met have always had these interesting careers that have spanned different things. You know, most of the artists, right. I don't know if you've noticed this, but most of the artists that we've met, that's what they were going to do. That's what they've done. You know, right, anything right. they've done in between has been a means to an end. Right. Exactly. You know, where writers have, a lot of the writers have done a breadth of things and not because they like, I feel like some of them really knew they wanted to be writers, but a lot of them just for lack of a better way of explaining it kind of fell into it because they're good at it. And I agree with that. I can I, I have nothing to say about yes to that. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting though. So it's, it's always fun to listen to and Harper's no, ex, no exception to this. It's always fun to listen to people that has just had an interesting life and, and done some interesting yeah. things in their career. I like it. And Casey does great. I like it that. too. Cause he just, yeah, he's got this, slow methodical way because I I guarantee you people Casey has all of his questions lined up and then he has backup questions case something gets answered during a question that he was going to answer. And he just kind of like 
bangs the drum in a methodical way to get, you know what I mean? To get through it. And he's, it's, he always has this, I don't know, his path always kind of forks in a different way. Casey asked one of the best questions I ever heard on an interview with him and I one time. And now I have used it over and over again. What is and it? And he asked, oh, who was it? Shoot. I can't remember the, the, the actual interview now, but he asked him, did, were your parents, did, were your parents around Jerry Conway? He asked Jerry Conway, was his parents around long enough to, to see him be a success in writing? <laughs> yep. And I was that. like, oh, that's a great question. And it just opened up so much more, you know? And, you know, so I, I'm always looking forward to hearing Casey do interviews and this was no exception. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. It was great. But you were saying before all that, what were, gonna, what were you saying? Your idea. <laughs> I was just, I was just thinking of something. You know what we should do? And I'm, I'm curious Sorry. if anybody reaches out to us and are interested in this. We should go back to some of our old episodes and totally Mystery Science 3000 it. Mystery Science Theater 3000 it. <laughs> like, like how I did all the White to Zero radios? I read up to Haphazard. No, because those were like, you were doing some weird, like low monitor. I don't know what the hell you were doing. You were doing some weird voice. Like you were, it just sounded like you could not be more bored. <laughs> and the one listen to, that's not all of them. Though. No, yeah. dude. I listened to a ton of them and they all sounded the mm-hmm. same. <laughs> not the, not the episode itself. The episode itself were always fun. You know, it was the cut in when you were talking about it because it's like, I think you're alone. I like in my mind, you're alone in the dark and only the light of the monitor is lighting up the whole space. <laughs> and you're sitting there and you're like, okay, you know, you're editing these things and there's a part of you going, I don't really want to do this, but I need, I want to, I really want to get this done because I want to edit this and get it out. So then, okay, I got to, oh God, this stupid clip. What do I got to say about this clip? Okay. Play. And then the clip is funny, you know, and then the next one, play. And then I can just see you like sitting there, probably with the shirt off, just sitting in your boxers, in your office chair, most of it being done in a rental house that you had before the ceiling collapsed full of the weight of the water. Yeah. So it's Most just, of that's accurate. I mean, I wasn't, I, I had clothes on. Um, I don't usually set my computer naked in my yeah. underwear, but uh, the rest of it's probably accurate. <laughs> and so, but, but I'm, I'm talking about like a full on where we're over talking, like we're sitting down listening to the episode and then we're talking shit about each other, what we're saying. Like, cause our yeah. opinions change as you get older or even in six months, your opinion can drastically change on something. It'd be fun to do that, at least to at least do it to our first episode, Going In Dry. Oh, yeah, Going In Dry. Dude, those first few, like, 20 episodes, the intros are so bad. It just, everything is so monotone, and it's kind of funny. Are, 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 we, are we on? Uh, yeah, are, are we on? <laughs> we are. And then it was just, I don't know. It's just so funny. I, I, kinda, I remember, I remember that the first one's like, yeah, so uh, this is Spoiler Country, and I'm John, and that's Kenrick, and today we're going to talk about The Killing Joke, and uh, yeah, so. Uh, <laughs> it's so bad. Uh, go back. I, you know, I re-uploaded that, leveling yeah. it out and redoing the sound. Yeah. On that you first know, I don't it care if you want or difference. not. We should, we should, we should do, we should, we should do um, going in dry as a test and see, what it, see how it comes out. Yeah, it may be interesting. We, we have to lower the level of that one so that it's not... Well, we can do that on the mixer, and we can—I mean, I mean, don't have—we can pause it and talk too if you want to, you know, if you want to expand upon something. But yeah, that'd be fun to do an MST3K version of of our first couple episodes or, or yeah. various select episodes. Maybe even one of the YouTube channel ones where we actually had video. Right. We can Look do, at it, that we can do it on video. 
Look at that gut. Where we're sitting in front of it. <laughs> Look at that gut. Look at this gut. Ah, oh, damn it. It's bigger. Oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, thank you for joining us and listening to our crazy antics. Uh, thank you to Steve Harper, which we need to be doing this more often, is thanking the guests. We have a tendency yeah. to not thank the guests for coming on, and we really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come on and talk with well, Casey. If you guys enjoyed I'm gonna retroactively, that. I'm going to retroactively thank all of our guests previous to this episode. Yes. Thank you all the guests before. Yeah. For yeah. all the love that's come before. Anyways, <laughs> if you enjoyed what you just heard, and hopefully you did because you're still here and you're listening to, to, to my dumbass, then I highly suggest that you go to Spoilerverse.com, because over at Spoilerverse.com, you're going to find a ton of back issues with an amazing array of guests. And not just an amazing array of guests, but just a lot of fun shows in general. You want to learn about the Comics Code Authority? We have a whole episode where Johnny spent seven months archiving, investigating, and putting together an amazing episode that walks you through step-by-step step what the Comic Code Authority is all about. And you can hear that for free in our back issues. Not only that, Johnny's going to walk you through a bunch of other shit that we got there. Yeah, up on the website, we got other podcasts like Bridging the Geekdoms and and uh, Funny Book Forensics and Half-Ass Adventures and Nerds from the Crypt. A bunch of great stuff to listen to if you're ever so inclined. And we got articles and reviews and previews of, of new upcoming comics and projects and stuff coming out and opinion pieces and stuff that's a lot of fun to read. Um, some controversial topics too. Some stuff that are. We have one article that's uh, caused quite the debate with at least one person um, has had decided to comment on several other posts on our website to make their point off of one post because I wouldn't respond to them because there's no need to. But that's fun. If you find it on the website, you'll, you'll know what it is. Uh, there's also a store where you can buy a Facebook, a T-shirt, a hoodie, look fly as hell, help support the site in some little way because everything you buy gives us a dollar or two. And you can chat with us at scpod.us slash discord and you know, join our public discord and come talk with us and enter in all of our contests and uh, you know, have a lot of fun. Yeah, we no longer have a phone number. Our phone number has been taken away. No, it hasn't. It's still there. Nope. Got an email from Google a couple months, like a month ago saying, oh, you haven't used it. So we yep, took and it And I reactivated it. Oh, you did? It. Damn it. I did. Oh, well, there you go. So What's that number? still there. But do you know our phone number, Kenrick? I don't. It's uh, 707 I have no idea. No, no. 787-658. Oh, damn it. 70... Now I forgot. I just <laughs> said it a minute ago, and now I can't remember what I just said. But it's six... I know it's... We might have it's, a phone number. <laughs> it's 707 I think. It's in the intro of the show, okay? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. All right, guys. I think that's a show. But before we that's go... That's a show... The notions of podcasts. We are Cthulhu. And as Cthulhu compels you to do, open the mind and read more. It I is 707 It does still work. It's nice. Nice. I totally uh, forgot the control.